to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. What's up? Hello, everyone. Welcome to PDA. It is the week of June 11th. That's not how I start the show ever. I don't know. <laughs> oh, what are we talking about? DC today, huh? The most important election of our lifetimes, the mayor of DC and other elections. Um, it's the capital of the country, so. Whoever's the mayor of Washington, D.C. is the president. We all know right. this from taking high school civics and uh, history. The mayor of America. That's how it should work. Yeah. It might as well. Nothing. None of, the system doesn't make any damn sense anyway. Yeah. I'm sure there's like some loophole in there where that could be the case if you wanted it to be. That'd be cool. Um, man, D.C. is a crazy place. I was there when I was on tour. I when we played Comet Ping Pong Pizza and mm. saw the Adrenochrome machines and everything, and um, I gotta say, man, the city's got a weird vibe. Uh, everyone who you know from Twitter is just there, walking around. It's pretty weird. Yeah, you saw. Oh, we talked about this, right? You saw Charlotte Clymer there. She was yeah. lurking by, not lurking, but she had a adjacent birthday to my birthday last year in Malcolm X Park. Um, there's Matt Iglesias. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, I did, I did stand up there one time, and the guy, Matthew Lesko, the I could get you money from the government yeah. guy with all the question marks or X dollar signs or whatever the fuck. All They're question marks. Yeah, he looks like the Riddler. It's confusing. Yeah, it's he's like just, a yellow Riddler. It's like an ANCAP Riddler, basically. <laughs> yeah, it is because they're yellow. That makes sense. Yeah, he was just there, he, and I was like. This is the oddest, like, <laughs> for, like random person from uh, the universe to be here. But I, that's that's my experience with DC. I guess it's a place where people I know from TV and stuff are just walking around, but not like in an LA way where you're like, oh, you're right. on Scrubs. It's more like, oh, you yell at me at three in the morning yeah. when, when TV is over. Right, you're on the McLaughlin Group. Oh my God, get this guy a <laughs> VIP booth. Yeah, basically like that. Uh. Yeah, I never saw Lesko in the flesh. I did see his car just parked at random spots, and you know it's his car because it has it's like bright yellow and has like black question marks all over it. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Why question marks? He's not the Riddler. He gives you money. I don't know. It should be yeah. dollar signs. I think it's you know question question what you're doing with your lives. Okay. I guess question the system. In a way, he's kind of helping. Washingtonians, Washingtonians, Washingtonius. That sounds cooler. People from Washington as a collective should be described as Washingtonius. Yeah. Coming soon to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Washingtonius. Washingtonius. Played by The Rock. I don't know. How you doing, man? Pretty good. I'm just, yeah, this or this episode, uh, it makes me miss DC. Um, I was so excited to vote in the, the Democratic primary, because there's a lot of races. 
all on one ballot and the primary decides everything like in most really not just blue cities, but most cities, because most cities are blue in America, I feel like. And the local level is, I think, very interesting because it exposes the limits of liberalism like it very well. I think it really crystallizes it. I was thinking about this uh, earlier because in Ari Robin Haas book about the Bernie campaign, which I read, we did a bonus up about it, but he dug up a quote from Bernie as mayor of Burlington. And he was saying like to someone who was like, well, are you really, have you really been like a socialist mayor? Like you're not, you know, uh, forming a worker state government and like, like overthrowing the capitalist class and heads are not rolling here. This is a nice town. Uh, there's some <laughs> little more investment. Uh, and he says, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to look at Burlington and see like we have better parks and schools and things just run a little better. And that's they'll say that's not socialism and they're not wrong. But he made a really interesting point, which is that the stuff he was doing in Burlington, uh, a lot of people who are like very good liberals are just not going to do um, things like, you know, create instead of like a private resort area he made it so it was just like kind of a public park like a big complex yeah. in Burlington that like anybody can go to and it's you know it's funded by by tax dollars and it's for the public um so yeah i think the local level i i love mayoral uh elections and city council elections it's my hobby is to smoke a fat jay and watch a mayoral debate on c-span it's <laughs> um, cool man yeah, they're spicing up. It's funny. Something I've noticed is that like they can be incredibly boring. Obviously, local issues can be very mundane. But the closer they get to the election date, it goes from like zero to 60 uh-huh. in terms of the sparks that fly. Um, yeah, the 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 recent D.C. mayoral debate was very feisty. Oh, uh, Bowser versus two whites. <laughs> The craziest. It's not what it sounds like. It's <laughs> I don't know what that sounds like. It's insane yeah. that there are two black men named White running right. against a woman named Bowser. <laughs> yeah, like it sounds like a guy walks into a bar joke or something. No, yeah, I was like very shocked in, in D.C. because I, you know, I moved just a couple months ago back here to New York, and I was doing stand up there and uh, nobody else took on that uh, premise. I was nobody the only dared. one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe since I left, everybody's doing the white mayor jokes, but um, <laughs> yeah. And I won't get to do them anymore after, after uh, the 21st, unless he wins, which yeah. We'll anti jinx him. Yeah. Maybe. There you go. Yeah. But I guess I should I, I'll tell my joke that I'll never get to probably never get to do again. Here's how you know your intuition is telling you whether or not this candidate is going to win. Do you feel like you're going to be able to do jokes about him for a while? Probably not. Right. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> get him out. I now. hope we do. I hope I hope it quickly becomes hacked to talk about how the, the D.C., you know, D.C. got a mayor who's uh, white. Yeah, Robert White. <laughs> Basically my joke. And then I also said, uh, you know, I'd help him out, but I don't think he needs me going around being like, vote white. Um, <laughs> someone had to do it. Has Arguably, anyone- it's subpar material, but somebody had to tackle the mayoral 
uh, name issue. Here's what my joke would be. Um, wow, the mayor, there's a mayor's race, and the incumbent is named Bowser. Who's running against this lady, Mario? <laughs> uh, folks. <laughs> yeah, you know, the worst joke of all time. That's what I would do. I would just, now I'm regretting just not doing an entire hour that's just about the last names of the merits of DC. <laughs> They're all pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, the first one was literally named Washington. Insane. Pre- and he, he was appointed. I don't know if he was the first one, but he was, I think he was the last um, non elected mayor. Okay. The, for, the last appointed mayor. And his name is Walter Washington. And they're just like, you got the name, buddy. It's between you and Benny DC. So, yeah. DC or DC Benny. DC <laughs> Benny. Yeah. That's what my brain was. The comedian was spitting out. Comedian. Yes. <laughs> There is actually a comedian running for mayor, Rodney Red Grant, um, who I believe is is an independent. So maybe you'll get an opportunity to vote for him. It does look like he worked as a police officer for a while. So that might be. Oh. Well, comedian is enough of a non-starter for me. But I think uh, police officers is definitely another one. But which one's a red or flag? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really sure. Are those comics that are like, oh, I used to be a cop. And here's a bunch of jokes about it. Oh, not good. Yeah. That's, it's very strange. It makes it really awkward. I don't, I don't yeah. think we're scared of them. Yeah. It's weird. Like, yeah, I don't want to laugh at you or give a gun. Um. I don't think we should fund cops or comedians, either of them. And I'll vote for anyone who promises to defund really either one, but hopefully both. Yeah, I'm for some carve outs on that on the comedian question on that. But um, but speaking of ex-cops, we work best when we're scrappy. Yeah. Speaking of former police officers, uh, we're going to touch on this a tiny bit, but I wanted to uh, highlight Ward one in D.C., my old neighborhood. Brianna, Brianne, her name is not Brianna. Brianne Nadeau is the incumbent council member, and she is being primaried by a uh, self-proclaimed progressive. He's just as progressive as her on all the issues. Sala Sapari, is, I think his actual name, speaking of funny names, Sala Sapari. I think that's how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. C-Z-A-P-A-R-Y. It could be Kaza Party, um, but he is... A former police officer who spent, you know, 2020 probably beating up protesters or at least enabling that and is now backed by Republicans in challenging the incumbent Brandon Doe, who's, you know, a decent progressive. She's very she's pretty good on housing um, and he's trying to take her out and is being backed by Republicans. And there's a video circulated recently of his campaign manager's husband going around straight up taking down signs pointing out his Republican connections, which is illegal. <laughs> like The law and order candidate just has people uh, breaking the law. And wouldn't you know, this particular crime has gone unenforced or unregistered. Uh, They've made people have complained to the Metropolitan Police Department. But again, this guy's a former cop. So they're literally just not doing anything about it. They're like letting this campaign go around and illegally um, take down signs. Well, I don't believe it. I mean, our boys in blue would never do hypocrisy. Right. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, that's really depressing. Um, Sounds about white, White. though. You know what I'm saying? There we go. Boom. 
running against I, Bowser. I do think she's going to pull it out, though. I think Nadeau will do okay. Uh, the other race, just wanted to tell a little fun anecdote about, is Word 5, where there is a DSA, endorsed candidates, State Board of Education uh, member Zachary Parker, who's running in Ward 5 uh, to take over for an incumbent and crowded field. And um, Zachary Parker decided recently after announcing his candidacy to come out as uh, gay. He is a gay man, which is great. People were supportive of that. Um, but then for some reason, one of his opponents, Vincent Orange, who th- th- I don't know what this is. There's a ton of, there's a ton of politicians in DC named Brown with the last name Brown, and then this guy Orange, and then White. I don't know what it is about all these. One of them did it in the ballroom with the candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which one of you overturned the uh, will of the voters who wanted to raise the minimum wage for tip workers? <laughs> they have plausible deniability. They have to do a whole game of Clue to figure out which council members voted to to fucking sock it to. The voters. Oh, which is another thing. Clearly, it was a uh, representative mustard. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is there. Yes. As we'll get into, there is an initiative to raise the tip minimum wage. So people who are tip workers, servers, bartenders, etc. Um, they uh, the voters of D.C. voted a couple of years ago to say, hey, these people should be making the regular minimum wage. Right. You shouldn't be able to pay a tip worker an actual like check of $3 an hour and then justify it by like, oh, well, they're making tips, which is happens all throughout the country. But in D.C., they're like, well, we, we can do better than this. And yeah. so they passed it. And then the council just voted to overturn it. So I love democracy. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. So now there is a, a redo initiative 82 um, and the composition of the council. Hopefully it, it does look better since then with Janice Lewis George, who knocked out Brandon Todd, two years ago, she's a socialist. Um, so the composition has gotten better. And after this election cycle, I think it will be, fingers crossed, definitely good enough to to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But, um, but so Zachary Parker is running against Vincent Orange for Ward Five. They had a debate a few months ago, and Parker had just announced that he is is gay. He's come, came out as gay. Not an easy thing to do. Um, and then Vincent Orange, who this guy has been in office in and out for a very long time, uh, very corrupt person, formerly very anti-gay, uh, possibly still anti-gay because his statement towards the end of the debate, he just like sneaks this in here. He says, I'm puzzled here tonight. Look, the chairman of my campaign is openly gay. It has been openly gay for a very long time. Some of my top advisors are openly gay. Twice I've heard Mr. Parker here say that he's openly gay and is espousing to help. But he was an elected official for almost four years. And all the things that we discussed here tonight, he could have helped those young kids. He could have helped adults by just being that proud LGBTQ leader. And it just seems like a matter of convenience when you hear him talk. That's what he says. So is he either criticizing him for not coming out soon enough or he's accusing him of lying about being gay? It's not clear. I think the, I guess the generous interpretation there was that it's it's not soon enough. Still, 
terrible thing to say. Um, and he's like, oh, well, I'm just puzzled because uh, many of others have said that they're they're gay and it helps people. But to just become openly gay a few months ago seems like a matter of convenience. And to say I'm the only going to be the openly gay person on the council just doesn't add. He says it just doesn't add up to me. <laughs> um, but the best part about this, because remember in the beginning, he says uh, the chairman of my campaign is openly gay. Uh, his chairman of this campaign is a guy named Franklin Garcia who was asked by the Washington city paper, are you gay? And he said, no. Oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's just watching. Like, why are you calling me gay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Seinfeld, not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, right. <laughs> but he's like, what the fuck dude? <laughs> like, you know, I'm over here trying to meet women after the, you know, the, the big show we were having. Yeah, calling me gay on stage, it's like, <laughs> and he really tries to to smooth it over for him, and he's like, "Well, uh, I am uh, very much a part of the LGBTQ community as an ally," um, <laughs> but he was thinking of somebody else. Is he basically? Oh man, that's so. At funny. best, his campaign, the the candidate, uh, mixed up him with another gay guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it shows you how much he. You know, thinks about these people and cares about them, and that's that's a quality you want. That's right. Um, so yeah, Ward Five. Looking at that, Ward One. There's a few other words, but Ward Three is a big one. To I don't know who the good candidate is in Ward Three, but uh, one of them is um, Matt Iglesias's friend who's running. So my instinct is to just vote against him. But gay? The- I'm gonna if anyone ever attacks me on that basis i'm gonna be like i'm just gonna pull this guy's move and be like i do a podcast with anders he's gay he's always talking about how he has a boyfriend wait i misheard him for five years sorry (laughs) that's me i'm gay for not gay for pay but i will be gay (laughs) if you need to get out of an uh, an argument sure okay that's good to know i'm gay for the sake of argument i appreciate your services um, speaking of gay for the sake of argument, apparently Mayor Bowser is gay. I had no idea. <laughs> well, apparently, I mean, that's that's uh, I don't know if that was like, um, you know, that was hinted at. In the yeah, it was, yeah, that's right. We shouldn't out her. I know we have the power to do that. Well, I also don't know if that was like uh, he was even saying that was 100 percent. I think he just said, I, I think, you know, it's not. Yeah, it's very unclear. I that that, that took me by surprise. Uh I, you know, there's a part of me that hopes it's not true. But, um, uh, but well, I was going to say I had never thought about it. And that's why, you know, oh, now it's like weird. Oh, I had never thought about it. Um, maybe she is. Maybe she isn't. But it sounds like you've thought about it. Uh, I, <laughs> I've thought about her. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, but she is, of course, up for re-election, And it is a big race. As we're saying, this is a truly, I mean, there's a big probably no smart money is still on her. And I'm saying that to not jinx it, not because I necessarily think it, uh, but there is a chance that uh, things will change in D.C. And I think this is an important time in local politics throughout the country because um, and of course, every city is different. But I'm looking at progressive cities with uh you know the sort of liberal characters and and you know uh labor movements and uh places that 
um, are considered to be very uh, progressive, but are, do not always act that way. Um, because, you know, as we were just saying, that really is the edge of, of liberalism, arguably of neoliberalism is uh, the, the local governments, you know, they, they expose how little the state actually, the liberal state actually wants to do. Um, and that could be changing. I don't want to get too optimistic, but uh, in Boston, there's a progressive mayor. She's not a socialist. Uh, she's not DSA endorsed. And I think that's perfectly fair. Um, she is, however, a, a departure from a lot of mayors throughout the country. She's actually talking about social investment. She's, a, a, you know, doing things a bit differently and actually trying to come up with a centralized plan for things like climate. So at best, we could see an, a mayor like that in D.C. And I am cautiously optimistic about that trend of like progressive mayors and uh, throughout the country. I still do think that if we're talking electoral politics, um, city councils, legislatures, that's where you should focus if you're an organization like DSA. And you should try to build up the composition there. But um, this is a trend that uh, I, I hope continues and uh, I'm eager to see what happens in D.C. on the 21st. Um, you can vote then or early if you're a resident. Uh, and to find out who you should vote for, um, which I don't know, are we allowed to do endorsements? I don't know. Just put the regular podcast asterisk on this. If it's illegal, okay. then it's a joke. Uh, sure. If it's not, then listen to us. <laughs> I mean, arguably, if we were to endorse, it would uh, well probably have no impact. But if it, to, to any impact it had would be a negative one. So arguably, it's at, it doesn't count as an endorsement. Yeah, we should do the kiss of death to the opponent. You know. I, oh yeah, That's, I would love to do a kiss of death to Mario Bowser. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we will be talking. Are you Mario? To, <laughs> to a. Uh, a very interesting guy. He is a DC native, a co-founder of We Act Radio, which is a, an excellent institution, which I am excited to, to share with our listeners to let them know more about. Um, so without further ado, let's go to that interview with Kamon Freeman. Roll the tape. Uh, yes, we are joined. Um, it is a couple weeks away from... Uh, the most important election of our lifetimes, as they say every election, but this one possibly because they keep getting more important. It's undeniable. Uh, but this is an important one that I'm very uh, invested in because I, I just must confess, I, I just moved back to New York City from Washington, D.C., where our guest is joining us from. Uh, he is driving around. I, um, what, what section are you in, by the way? Uh, I'm in Chinatown. Stop Asian oh. hate. Okay. <laughs> cool. Podcasting to... like while driving a car is a very cool move. I'm about to give right, it's underutilized. Uh, but I should introduce our guest. His name is Kamon Freeman, and he is a co-founder of We Act Radio in D.C. Thank you for joining us, Kamon. It's an honor to be here with you, and peace and blessings to your listening audience. And why don't we start by uh, We Act Radio, uh, for those who are not familiar, uh, what is it and, and how did it begin? We Act Radio um, is basically a mission-driven business that has utilized disruption as a business model. Uh, we are underwritten by Social Security Works and my business partner, Alex Lawson, which gives me the freedom 
to not be beholden to um, advertisers um, like the Pacific Network um, uh, is not beholden to advertisers, but they also are beholden to um, their listeners, where only like 8% of their listeners actually um, support um, uh, those those programs. And unfortunately, uh, one hour of progressive talk in America is compared to 10 hours of right-wing talk in America because the right-wing talk is solely um, supported by um, the un- underwritten of the right-wing um, businesses, um, ph- you know, big pharma, uh, defense contractors. That's why, uh, you know, them losing advertisers when they offend the public doesn't work for them. Rush Limbaugh had no advertisers <laughs> and he was probably one of the highest paid talk um, uh, hosts in um, American history. Um, but We Act Radio started in um, um, 2011. Uh, uh, I like to tell everybody it was November 11, 2011 at 11 a.m. Uh, it's a mm. famous Google song in, React, uh, in D.C. called The One-on-One. And uh that was a result because Kathy Hughes, uh, co-founder of Radio One, the largest conglomerate of, of Black-owned um, uh, stations in the country, um, was on her high horse, high horse being disingenuous um, in regards to the um, uh, the performance arts tax. The performance arts tax was was sponsored by former Congress Congressman John Conyers, uh, who basically stipulated that artists. Um, records should, um, artists, the performing artists should be paid when the record is played, not just the, the owner of the publishing, because uh, a lot of artists, um, black people in general and artists in general, uh, black people in particular and artists in general have been robbed of their publishing. And so even though their names are no- noteworthy and their records are, are big, um, they die destitute because, um, they don't, uh, benefit, um, from the residuals that publishing, um, offers. And so he instituted the um, performance arts tax so that the artist would, could, could be um, compensated uh, as well. And she fought that tooth and nail, um, saying that this was a direct attack, attack on black radio. Uh, John Conyers, by the way, who was the, the um, sponsor of, of, of jazz bills and, and, and uh, bills, um, is attacking black radio. And I, I just felt that she was being disingenuous. Mm. And as a result of that, we put together panel discussion uh, talking about if we want to save black radio we need to change black radio because if you listen to any mainstream black radio station today i urge your audience to check out any mainstream black radio station format station monday through friday morning rush hour and you will hear grown-ass men making prank calls at people's jobs with all that's going on in the world this is what they would do with millions of listeners okay and this is what she said that we, we must save um and <laughs> we actually put a panel uh, debating that, that we want to save it, we need to change it, and someone put um, the charge to us that if we wanted to change it, then we, why don't we create our own station? And that set off a chain of, um, of events, and that's what we did. And so we created um, what has been called the best social justice station in Washington, D.C., according to uh, the city paper. So that's the backstory, and we've uh, just celebrated our 10th anniversary, and we're in Anacostia. Our building is paid for. We are brick and mortar. We have a, a, a performance venue that we created, an outdoor performance venue, a 420-friendly beer garden, I might add, that holds 300 people. And so we are an institution in Washington, D.C. now. Absolutely. Well, that's, yeah, that's a great story. And congratulations on the, the anniversary, by the way. Uh, we're going to go ahead and cut the prank call segment of the show from the what we're doing right now. I'm just kidding. We don't do that. 
Uh, <laughs> I've been known to do a prank call or two in my day, but I had to retire because I was too good at it. Um, mm-hmm. Not saying I would never bring it back, but oh, I would only put, do it to punch up. I think that's the, the problem. A lot of the radio shows, they they punch down on, like you said, people are just working at Pizza Hut uh, instead of, you know, a senator's office, which I love to do prank calls on. Um, Ooh, fun. But I think it's a really important it, we act as a really important institution because, uh, you know, we're on a podcast. There are a lot of left-wing podcasts, and, and it's obviously I um, think that's that's good. Uh, but terrestrial radio is really um, an untapped sort of resource, and, you know, it's not hard, very hard to break into. We guys have managed to do it. Uh, and as you said, the right has been basically monopolizing it. Well, we we was able to do it for five years. The or excuse me, four years. The first four years we had a, a terrestrial um, contract uh, AM, and then in fifth year we got a low power FM signal, um, and we was about to um, um, go go big with that one. But once again, uh, Radio One um, uh, took us to court and filed, um, basically saying that you know um, David has a slingshot that might put Goliath's eye out. Um, that this 100 watt low power FM signal was a threat to their business. And so big bank took little bank and, um, there was a, they filed injunction after injunction and we lost the low power FM signal. Um, and it's now been split up, um, and consumed by uh, radio one. You have, um, a low power FM signal in Maryland. You have a low power FM signal in, in Virginia in the uh, DC area. The DC um, proper, um, the one that we had, uh, no longer exists. Um, this is just um, because of the politics of what we have. So we did the get fight, but we lost on the terrestrial battlefield. Yeah, R.I.P. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm thinking of the the Virginia signal. Um, but and so, how were they? Why were they allowed to do that? Why were they allowed to just shut you down? This is this is America, um, uh, and free speech is money. And the more money you got. The more speech you have, if you don't have any money, they're basically telling you STFU. Jesus. Mm. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. I wasn't aware of that aspect of it. That they they another basically a competitor, it sounds like. They they thought well, you were Well, I'm honored I'm honored that they looked at We Act Real as a as a competitor. <laughs> uh, you know, mm. because we actually they, they Radio One started, um, ironically. With a small AM radio station is actually been documented by Hollywood, um, um, by a film called Talk to Me, um, with Petey Don Green. Cheadle. Don Cheadle played Petey Green, uh, right. ter- ter- um, Roger P. Henson was in it. Uh, it was, um, um, W-O-L. And so they know be- better than most how much damage you can, what you can do with, a, um, a small station. And uh, I guess they de- they didn't want us to uh, replicate um, their success. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And and I think this this type of media is really important, especially in in places like D.C., where um, a lot of America I feel like doesn't understand Washington D.C. at all. Like the, you know, it's we know there's the capital there, there's politicians and stuff, but we forget that there's a whole other city. With you know nearly a million people living, eating, breathing, pissing, shitting, fucking like it's you know a very substantial place and a huge community. Uh, but what do you think people in most of America don't appreciate about the District of Columbia, or how would you sort of uh, explain it on a social level to somebody you know from like West Coast or someone who's not 
similar. I, I think I think that um, most people are not aware that um, we have taxation without representation. Um, we are denied a vote in Congress, and that uh, Congress, a racist country, I might, might add, uh, um, uh, decides. Uh, has to approve the budget in, in DC. It determines, um, uh, has a final say of a, a lot of the, um, um, uh, governance in Washington, DC. Uh, for example, um, at one time at the height of the AIDS pandemic, uh, the, uh, national, um, the act, the AIDS infection rate, the AIDS, oh. the AIDS infection rate, uh, in Washington, DC was, uh, 12 times the national, um, rate. Jeez. And that's because, um, of the, the fact that um, um, Congress denied DC, um, from funding. Um, so the fact that, um, the only jurisdiction in America that was prohibited from using its own money, not federal money, its own tax dollars to fund a needle exchange program, um, had these, um, uh, these consequences because 30% of all the AIDS infection um, cases was directly attributed to dirty needles. So that means for over a decade, 30% every year of new AIDS cases was attributed to this. And so the Congress has a 300% markup of, of AIDS infection cases in Washington, D.C. based on this rule, this, this, this taxation without representation, which ironically is what this country went to, um, the American Revolution War was about. It was about taxation without representation. That's what the Tea Party was doing. It was a riot. <laughs> uh, and so I think if people in America realize that the real reason, uh, the federal government doesn't want DC to have two senators and a vote in Congress is because it would tip the tide of power in this country where we got this good cop, bad cop, standstill, 50 50 where nothing gets done. Mm -hmm. If DC become a state, it would tip the, um, 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 the balance of power in the country. So. That is the most important thing that people need to realize, that the issue of statehood in Washington, D.C. can tip the balance of power in America. And um, I think after January 6th, people should uh, always pay attention to what's going on in the nation's capital. That's right. Yeah. And and two, uh, I feel like a lot of Americans don't realize democracy, uh, insofar as it does exist in with D.C.'s local government, is a very new phenomenon as well. It wasn't until the 1970s that Washingtonians could even elect their own representatives for local government. It was uh, it was just a congressional committee. Um, it was a plantation. <laughs> yeah, it was, I think, very much, uh, yeah, a colonial sort of uh, system. Um, and, you know, people who have heard of D.C. as a as a city, the rest of D.C., I guess, uh, may be familiar with Marion Barry. And, of course, there's some some connotations that that come with that but um that's another thing i wanted to ask you about too is is what was the impact of, of barry we did do an episode about marion barry a, a year or two ago but um just to to kind of to show people who may not be super familiar like what do people not appreciate appreciate about marion barry and why does he continue to this day to have staying power uh among the residents of washington the residents of Washington, D.C. will tell you that he's mayor for life because he created the largest um, um, black middle class in America. Uh, unfortunately, the, that the, the, the majority of that middle class moved to Maryland and took their funds with them rather than investing in their own communities, which led to um, created the opportunity for gentrification to come in to buy up um, land um, cheaply. 
but uh, he he stood up to um, the the good old boy network, whereas you know the nepotism of getting city contracts, he dem- he democratized that. Uh, he created a summer youth employment program that guaranteed uh, um, young people uh, um, and, and not just kids. Uh, it was up to 21 at the time. I'm a benefit of the Mary Summer Youth Employment Program. And this program wasn't, you know, flipping burgers for the summer. You'll be working in an architectural firm. You could be working in, in a law firm like I was myself. I was doing paralegal work before I knew what a paralegal was. <laughs> uh, so he was like, if you're doing business in the city, you have to expose these young kids to um, the real world. And that's what he did. And it created opportunities for uh, people such as myself and made us see beyond our neighborhood. Uh, that what Marion Barry did. Uh, he also, uh, you know, um, he I don't want to credit them too heavily, but uh, BET Networks exists because of Marion Barry. He created billionaires, millionaires because um, he gave uh, Robert Johnson um, the land on which BT um, uh, was launched on. Um, for, you know, like a dollar a month. And th- that, um, but he had a deed to that land and the, the deed to that land enabled him to go to a bank to get a, uh, a loan to fund his business. And so, um, he's responsible for putting, um, BT on the map. Um, fortunately, BT has been a sorry excuse for, um, moving, um, um, black culture forward. Um, but Maranberry, um, stood up to, um, the institutional white supremacy. Um, that stated that only those people um, deserve um, um, to ha- have access to resources. Only those people are able to uh, uh, run governance. Um, no one can ever say that he stole money. Uh, no one could ever say that he had a misuse of his uh, abuse of power. He just had um, a substance abuse program and he liked women. And so the system knew what his weaknesses were. And they went after him for it. Everyone seemed to take you. If you watch the tape, um, the incriminating tape, you could clearly, uh, clearly see why he was in that room. And he wasn't in that room to get high. <laughs> uh, he came for another reason. <laughs> and he even told the whole world why he came into the reason. That's a good he came into that room for a reason. Um, so they set him up and they spent millions of dollars for him to get um, a conviction for a misdemeanor because he was standing in the way of gentrification. He had rent control. Uh, he was standing in the way of, um, of a free fall for developers in the city. And after his um, demise, now you see that D.C. has the most rapid uh, rate of gentrification of any city in America and the greatest um, disparity of wealth of any city in America. Um, these are things that he had fought against. And that's why the system came after him. And that's why the people um, to this day still love him. Yeah, that's and, and it's definitely worth noting as well. He was. Uh, D.C.'s first democratically elected mayor, the first mayor elected by the people of, of D.C. And I think there's a really marked shift uh, when he leaves office. Uh, and, with- and he was the most powerful mayor in the country because yeah. as a D.C.'s unique relationship, when we first allowed um, home rule from the Congress granted us home rule because we're not a state, he didn't have to go through another tier of scrutiny. Initially, it, um, he was in charge of the entire city independently mm-hmm. and then and once they you know it's a famous line out of the, the film malcolm x uh when denzel washington had led the um the protest when the police had beat uh, one of the um, brothers up and they marched down to the hospital and um until they found out the brother was okay and then the, and the police chief comes out and said that's too much power for one man to have 
And so that's what the federal government did. It said it's too much power for one man to have. So they invoked the control board. Right. And that's what um, we still have today. Right. Because they knew he was coming back. So, yeah, he, he uh, police officers indicted in, I believe, 89. And then uh, Sharon Pratt Kelly is elected. And you can see a very marked shift. You go back and you watch those debates and those speeches from her. She's talking about privatization, which wasn't yeah. a term that was used as much back then. Now it has some bad juju associated with it. But back then she was all about that. And by the time uh, Marion Barry is able to rehabilitate himself and get elected uh, again in 1994, um, it's it's his hands are tied in a way. There's the fiscal control board, which really makes it difficult for him to do the kind of social investment um, that he was able to in, early on in his tenure. You're, you're absolutely correct. And But the real architect of gentrification, as we now know it, uh, the most rapid form of gentrification of any city in America, as we now know it, uh, is Anthony Williams, who ironically, if you want to believe in um, um, you know coincidences, uh, he was the head of the control board. Mm. And uh, and then he became mayor for, uh, for two terms. And now he's the head of the Federal City Commission. Uh, the Federal City Commission in D.C., um, um, pretty much operates like um, ALEC. Uh, for those who are unaware, ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, which brought you such laws as um, um, stand your ground uh, so that, you know, they can spear more gun sales and, and they're funded by Walmart. This is creating space where um, um, major corporations and uh, uh, and lawmakers uh, can, can meet in private and decide behind closed doors what laws are they going to put on the books and it's a, uh, obviously a, a fascist cookbook, uh, and the Federal City uh, Commission is the local version in nation in the nation's capital of the American uh, Legislative Exchange Council. Everyone should okay. yeah. So I was just saying that I think that um, everyone should familiarize themselves with um, uh, with Alec on a national level and the Federal City Commission on uh, the local level here in Washington D.C. and see the similarities and how they operate. Wow. Uh, well, that's that brings me to a uh, question. I, I think you and I would probably agree on. Probably the, agree. Brings me to an interesting question. I think you and I would both agree on who the best mayor of D.C. was. I don't think we have to say, but as far as the worst mayor of D.C. of all time, who would you put in that uh, slot? Uh, the worst mayor. Wow, that's a tough one because uh, the mayor that done the most damage would have been. Uh, uh, Armstrong Williams, but the most unpopular mayor, ironically, wasn't Armstrong Williams. It was uh, Fenty, and it's because Fenty was it, it was so arrogant, and he took over the um, the school system, uh, invoked a, a a school. Uh, I think they call it a chancellor, school chancellor. Uh, she's the um, the wife of um, of um, I can't think of his name. Kevin he used to play for Phoenix Suns. He became mayor of Sacramento. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Michelle Ree, that's her name, Michelle yeah. Ree. And yeah. she's fired like thousands of teachers, you know. So um, he was the most unpopular uh, mayor. He was very arrogant. Um, so it's, 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 just, it's a toss up between Armstrong Williams and, and Fenty, Adrian Fenty. Yeah, Fenty, I would have to say, is my choice. And a lot of it does have to do with um, education, which is is an issue leads nicely into uh, this year's election. As you mentioned, it was he asserted mayoral control of the schools. So people aren't familiar with that. Of course, uh, most cities have school boards and you elect the school board, which we still they still have in D.C. 
however, all the decisions are still made at the mayoral level. And that's something that the current mayor, uh, Muriel Bowser, would like to to retain. Um, what do you think of Bowser? What, is, what has her administration been like so far? And uh, do you think she deserves a, a third term? Well, uh, you know, you always start with something nice. And so let me say something <laughs> nice about Muriel. Uh, I appreciate the symbolism um, of her creating um, the Black Lives Matter Plaza um uh and and what it did to you know poke a finger in the eye of trump at the time um i do realize that black people still was being brutalized by the police at black lives matter, black lives matter plaza but her enduring legacy um long after she's gone um it would still be there she created a, another national attraction and during 2020 to see everyone that came out to visit that location uh, it was a special feeling. It was a special thing. And the fact that she altered the, the White House address from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to 1600, um, Black Lives Matter Plaza, uh, I think, um, um, needs to be acknowledged. So I, I'm appreciative of that. Unfortunately, I think most of her, um, camp, uh, uh, her, um, I also, also, also think she was a good steward, um, during the, the pandemic. Uh, I think she handled the pandemic well in the city. Outside of that, um, she works for those people. She inherited uh, Fenty's playbook, um, Armstrong, um, um, uh, Anthony Williams, excuse me, not Armstrong Williams. That's another um, sellout. Uh, Anthony Williams, um, the head of the Fair City Commission. Um, you know, she rubber stamps whatever comes down that pipeline. And she has turned the keys over to um, a developer. In fact, we did an interview last night with uh, Ed Lazier, the former executive director of uh, DC Physical Policy Institute. And we, and the analogy that we use, was that, um, you know, she's an Uber driver <laughs> and the developers <laughs> decide where the car goes. <laughs> and that's pretty much been her uh, administration. And so um, for her to get a third term, um, I'm, I'm glad to see that she's been challenged on, on, on this round because of her, her second election, she went unchallenged. Her first election, um, the incumbent was um, was facing false allegations uh, right before the, the vote. So people um, just naturally geared to her. And then, of course, when the election was over, all the charges against her was dropped. So uh, I don't think she's won, really won a fair race yet. I think this is her first one. So we'll see what happens. But she's been challenged um, by some contenders, and um, this is a foot race. And unfortunately, uh, I wish we had a ranked choice voting system where people can rank their choices. And so the um, the actual winner would be uh, representative of the largest uh, support in the city um, because it's hard to unseat an incumbent when you're splitting the opposition vote. But in this situation, you may have a situation where the challengers combined may uh, have more votes than the incumbent. And if that's the case, I think it will speak volumes to her and her policies. Right. And it, it's even uh, a bigger problem because they both, uh, not kidding, have the same last name. Both of her challengers are named Councilman White. Uh, neither of them are white, for the record. Um, I, it, this is only I only have a short window where I can still do this in my stand up. But the, with D.C. might have a mayor who's white. Um, it, it's a very real possibility. Uh but do you think that's a problem, though, that they're I mean, because they they have some different issue positions, but they're uh, broadly both coming at it from the left. We have uh, Councilman Robert White, who's an at large 
uh, representative, and then uh, Trayon White, who's representing uh, is it Ward Eight? Yeah, he represents uh, one of the poorest sections of towns, was Ward right. Eight, which is also on the ward um, that houses on um, WEAC Radio uh, and Acosta Studios. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, they both do really important work. And it's that's what I'm kind of nervous about is, you know, Trayon White, very involved in the community, a mentee of, of Marion Barry. Uh, and then Robert White, who's, um, you know, progressive. They're both, I think, are mostly the same on the issues. Trayon White um, did vote. He did vote to overturn the uh, minimum wage to tip minimum wage referendum. Um, but why do you think it was they weren't able to work something out and just, you know, pick one white and ha- and go with that? Uh, let me uh, just say that um, Treyon uh, was ill-advised uh, in vo- voting against the tip wage um, um, law because uh, uh, it wasn't voting against it. It was voting to um, um, uh, rescind um what the ma- uh, majority of the city had voted for right. we had uh init- an initiative that passed so it should have become law and they uh, conspired uh to rescind that uh and uh he buckled under um on under pressure because at the time he's been he was in a hot seat been attacked by Washington Post uh this when he um he um, stuck his foot in his mouth uh, and said that uh, Jews uh, um, uh, uh, control the weather, uh-huh. uh, and, then, and then they and then they came for him. They did a uh, fact check I, of that. They didn't find any evidence for it. But uh, I just want to put out there that in all of that, they never mentioned the fact that there is a uh, organization called HARP that the government ran. It was in Alaska, and it was studying uh, the effects of altering weather patterns. So the the the, the ability, the technology to alter weather patterns does exist it was just that he um put it on an ethnic group and that was wrong but he should have said the government and he should have explicitly said harp <laughs> and and we all know this you can drop stuff on the clouds you know dry ice or whatever to make it rain like you can alter weather patterns and so uh, i urge everyone to look up harp and then you can see what we're talking about even governor um what's the, the wrestling governor from minnesota ventura. Uh, Jesse ventura yeah, yeah. He did a whole show on heart, you know, but not, not one time did the Washington Post mention that, yeah, this, this sounds far fetched, but there's some technology here, but he's wrong for this, you know, that has made him look crazy, you know, and, and, you know, so that was a young, so, uh, 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 a young person's um, mistake. Um, but that's why he did that. And I, I'm, and to this day, I always disagree with him on, on that issue. But other than that, him and Robert Wright, um, are, are progressives and they got similar background issues. And, uh, I, I, and to answer your question on why they never got together, um, I was hoping that they would sit down and talk like um, um, strategic thinking men and say, well, you know, Robert Wright's a stronger candidate because he's a citywide candidate. Treyon is not popular um, west of the river. And so, Treyon, you know, you know, give me your support. I'll rubber stamp everything you want while I'm mayor. And if you don't like it, then challenge me um, in the next mayoral race. But unfortunately, I think Robert Wright, made uh, a, um, a, a miscalculation because uh, they decided to try to get Trayon kicked off the ballot by challenging the validity of his signatures that got him on the ballot in the first place. And of course, um, that was Fugazi and, uh, and, <laughs> and they failed to do so. So now it was a personal vendetta between uh, the two whites 
And so there's no talking, there's no hope of having, um, you know, a coming to Jesus moment with the two, unfortunately. And it's just a sad case of fans when, you know, when egos get involved instead of looking at the bigger picture. And I, I hope that, um, we still got, uh, in the elections not to the 21st, uh, would be great if, if, um, that was to change, but, um, we'll see. Right. It would, it would be a real shame if that, if they did them in, if it's like, um, as you were saying, if the, if most people vote for, one of the whites and not for uh, Mayor Bowser and she squeaks by anyway, that would uh, let me be... point out, let me point out the ranked choice voting would, 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 right. um, um, would take care of all that. Cause then you get, you don't have any spoilers, you know, you get the rank, here's your first choice, your second choice, your third choice, and they tally up everything. And whoever has the highest percentage of support is the winner, you know, yeah. and that's what we need to get to, but that's why they don't want it because Without having ranked choice voting, you can just run three or four people against an incumbent to preserve the status quo. And that's where the system is 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 um, um, not trying to move on. Yeah. And it's one reason I'm really, you know, I'm, I'll my cards on the table. I think Robert White has has the better shot. And one of the reasons that I'm excited about his campaign is he's talking about a jobs guarantee, uh, which in, in some ways is a throwback to the the Barry years, right? The summer jobs program. You're talking about, but it also goes completely against the entire trajectory from that, from the end of that era on, in which uh, there's no money for anything. That's what they always say. Where are you going to get the money? How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? And someone's finally saying, "We'll find the money." You know, the, we we maybe we don't need to uh, give tax breaks to ultra wealthy Washingtonians or or throw money at the Metropolitan Police Department, which is a, another irony here. Is that the only issue where uh, there is always money in the budget for is is the police and uh, a proposal of the current mayor is to add four thousand new officers to the D.C. police department? Uh, do you think that would actually uh, make an impact on on crime in a in a healthy and, and productive way? First, let me say that the the most um the, the safest places in the world don't have the most police. The safest communities don't have the most police. It's the same all over the world. Wherever you see concentrations of poverty, you see violence and crime. Wherever you see concentrations of wealth, you see peace and tranquility. It's the same all over the world. It's not rocket science. And so uh, what people need to understand is, uh, is that D.C. already has the highest per capita of police of any city in America. We already have that. You know how many different police uh, uh, jurisdictions and departments are in the nation's capital, which made January 6th even more more unbelievable yeah. <laughs> that there was not enough cops. Really? <laughs> uh, but um, but let me say this too. You said uh, where are we going to get the money. Uh, another thing people need to understand is that Washington, D.C. has more speed cameras than New York City. Let me repeat myself. Washington, D.C. is half the size of Brooklyn. <laughs> but you have more speed cameras than all of New York City. In fact, Washington, D.C. was the location for the very first speed camera in America. Wow. Okay? And so they're getting they're getting money hand over foot. Anyone who drove in, in, in Washington, D.C. in the past five years can tell you speed tickets they're getting money. You know, if it's, it's it could be posted 25, 25 miles an hour, you're going 35 miles an hour. You know, not really a big deal. 
but you that's a hundred dollar ticket. Yeah. That's one hundred dollar ticket that will double in thirty days. So when you talk about where they're getting the money from, that get it from that ticket money. You know? Yeah. Uh and 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 the fact that whenever anyone says where are we getting the money from is on the front because whenever it's something more police, they don't say where we're gonna get the money from. Yeah. When it's time of war, they don't say where we're gonna get the money from. I never heard the Department of of uh, uh of war. That's the original name of the, of um, the Pentagon Department of Defense. The original name was Department of War. Yeah. They changed the name because it didn't sound too good, you know. <laughs> you know, um, but they 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 never had trouble raising money. Uh, and so we need to acknowledge these things, and that's why we are in a unique position right now because uh, the pandemic has cre- created a crisis. Uh, and that crisis has given birth to opportunities. Normally, crises give opportunities to the oppressor. In this case, it's the first time that poor people got a vacation and the opportunities are leaning towards the working class. Because why? Oh, well, we had to, um, cancel some rent. We had to, um, uh, you know, we, you know, people got to stay at home. People had the time to think. So now that people are like, wait a minute, all this time I could have been working for home. I ain't had to been driving through rush hour track and going to child care. I could have stayed. Then that's why you see downtowns all across America. The economic structure of these, um, these, these, these cities have changed and irreparably changed. And we need to acknowledge those things. And eventually we're going to see, uh, you know, health care for everybody. Eventually we're going to see a guaranteed income for everybody. And these things are, are inevitable. And they're just trying to humpty dump this fill down, trying to put them, uh, all the king's men are trying to put them back together again. And it's not going to work. And so they're scratching their head, trying to figure out how they're going to maintain and preserve the status quo. But that cat's out the bag, literally. Yeah, I mean, there really seems like there was this kind of sense of inevitability from um, a lot of people in in D.C., but uh, Bowser's camp specifically, that this was not going to be an election, right? That this is not a campaign that they needed to take seriously, that she could just run on her merits and, you know, that, that Washington uh, trusts her and that, that things have been going well for most people. And, uh, you know, just look at uh, what she's done was just open the door to let developers do absolutely whatever they wanted. Um, do you think she under has underestimated the opposition so far? And do you think there's an actual chance that that she could could lose? And I should mention, by the way, if you're on the fence about Mayor Bowser, she is single. And if she is not a reelected mayor, she will have more time to mingle. And if you <laughs> look her up online, not going to add my commentary there. There are, you know, probably some some gentlemen, some other folks in the district who would probably like that that scenario. Uh, how realistic do you think it is that she'll lose? Interesting that, that, angle. That, that, I, don't, I don't think I don't think uh, Miro likes likes baseball. Uh, if you know what I mean. Um, oh, uh, I don't think I never even that. considered that. Wow. Yeah. That's, I, I how bad my gaydar is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I tell you this is uh, I have I have mixed feelings when it comes to uh, Amir Bowser because uh, she announced uh, ironically, she announced her candidacy for her initial mayoral run um, where she announced the candidacy from the front yard of her parents home. Her first media um, appearance as a mayoral candidate was, guess what, on We Act Radio on The Rock Newman Show. Okay? Wow. The Rock Newman Show in our Anacostia studio was her first 
media appearance as a mayoral candidate. Uh, but um, so I, I've known Mira for uh, um, uh, a good while. And, you know, it's one of those situations where you have a good person um, uh, who gets into a position and they just play ball. And I think that that's what she's done. She's a good person who's just playing uh, playing ball. She's not a change agent, um, which is why D.C., uh, among other disparities, is the most dangerous city for a black woman of any social economic to give birth. But at the same time, we have a black woman as mayor. And that's not a glaring issue um, for the majority um, of, of people. Um, we have a situation where um, there's eight wards in Washington, D.C., and the, the, the two wards east of the river is the colored section that's left, uh, what's left of Chaka City, uh, um, the, obviously the poor section as well, um, have been neglected a bookstore for over 25 years. There's over 40 bookstores in Washington, D.C., but in the blackest, poorest sections of town, there was zero for 25 years. But at the same time, we have a proliferation of liquor stores. At the same time, we have, um, uh, you know, a food desert. Um, so, and these things have been allowed to go on. Uh, and so, you know, whenever someone says, um, you know, the status quo or you're conservative, you know, these are the issues that um, need to be addressed. And I don't think Merrill, uh, in the two terms that she has been mayor, has done a good job in, in challenging the status quo or being a change agent. I think she has been playing ball and she has been for the continued um, economic development of the city at the expense of the community development of the people who are here. Right. No, I think that's a really important point to understand or to, to overstand, as you say, is that it's not that she's a bad person, right? She genuinely does believe this stuff. She's part of an institution uh, in D.C., the Green team, the green machine, as it's called, that really, uh, in a way, started with Fenty and has continued with her and her protege, Brandon Todd. And it's you know a group of people who really do believe that you just got to let capitalism rip. You know, they, they believe in some some guidelines, but uh, ultimately, they think private capital and private investment is going to solve people's problems. And we've seen that in especially in Ward 7 and 8, that that is not the case because, you know, a grocery store, if uh, an investor doesn't think it makes sense to open one there and they don't think they're going to make enough money, then they're not going to do it. And you, you need to have some uh, public will there that actually makes this stuff happen. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, you know, I just want to be out there. You know, Muriel Bowser loves Little Wayne. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> really? <laughs> She she gets box seats to go see Lil Wayne every time he comes to town. Like she, you know, so she gets she she gets it. But there was no real um, push for her to address these issues because the issues that I just shared with you are prim- primarily uh, affecting people who don't vote because they have been led to believe that they, um, you know, the greatest power is convincing people they don't have any, so they don't get involved in um, um, in the politics. And in, um, they, we don't, you know, we don't have civic engagement in schools anymore. These people have been, um, they've been, they now believe that they, they, they don't have the power or the capacity to change their conditions. So they just submit to them. And so that um, from a business standpoint, there was no real push for her to address these issues. She's going with the, the people who put her in the office and she's delivering those deliverables that, um, um, and promises that was being made now. But I think the crisis has now created opportunities where people are, um, you know, we're beyond a breaking point and that um, the the city is going to have to address it. Like, you know how many people are behind in their rent in this city? They can't even evict all these people, you know. That's why they they keep kicking the can down the road, extending the eviction moratorium. 
extending the eviction moratorium because they don't have the capacity to evict 20 percent of a city. You know, right. uh, so let's let's be clear that we're that's why it's not business as usual anymore. Uh, and this is the first race that um, um, she's feeling some heat. I don't think she's ran a very good campaign. Um, I didn't even see any advertisements from her until late in the race. Um, and that's when she saw that um, uh, Robert White was was gaining traction. Um, he was very successful in raising a lot of money because I told you the opposition is there. The question is, does he have enough with Treyon skimming off the top? Uh, east of the river, can he do pull this off without um, um, that section of town? Because Miro has never been; she doesn't even campaign on that section of town. She had a campaign office right next door to Weak Radio that uh, she never went into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because because again, she didn't have a reason to. These people don't um, uh, are not uh, politically engaged. So again, I'm not attacking her. I'm just and you asking me a question. I'm answering yeah. it um, to the best of my ability in terms of what has happened. Um, so this, you know, the ladder has been left as an African proverb, you know, the door is open and the ladder has been left down. Um, the um, only question remains, um, does Robert White have enough to climb up? That's, yeah, excellent question. I hope the answer is yes. Um, one thing I was kind of disappointed in as well is uh, Phil Mendelssohn is another big obstacle to any progress in Washington, D.C. He's the enemy of basically every social movement, uh, most social movements. Guy has a mustache. He, he dresses like a gangster. I don't know. I seriously, I went to an event once and he was in straight up a top hat with the, like the trench coat. And like, he looked like he was in like a neo-noir <laughs> flick or something. Uh, but he is an opponent. He's now being challenged. He was challenged by Ed Lazare, uh, who you mentioned earlier, but this time he's been, been challenged by Aaron Palmer, who seems like a great candidate, but I was kind of hoping that it would be somebody from, uh, Ward 7 or Ward 8, who can tap into that constituency. Uh, do you think there's a chance, though, that we could bring Mendo uh, down? As, well, you know, it's always a chance, um, but I think um, Ed Lazier had a, uh, was a much stronger candidate than Aaron, Aaron Palmer. I think Aaron Palmer is a good candidate, and it would be a victory for the people um, if Aaron was able to uh, pull out the upset. Um, and, Ed, and, and Aaron Palmer has the support of um, Ed Lazier as well. Um, but you know, I, I'm a little conflicted on this one, uh, because, uh, Phil Mendelson is kind of like, like my favorite asshole on the, on the council. Uh, you know, you know, you, you know, if you was running a club, um, you want an asshole at the front door, you know, you, you know, Hey, I know, I, I know so-and-so they, I'm on the list. I don't see you on the list. Can right. you call some, you know, you want the asshole at the door <laughs> and, and Phil Mendelson is the, is the asshole of, of city council he's gonna always bring up the wackest stuff and it gives you something to fight about you know like you know and i've we at radio has been involved with so many um victories um uh, in stopping some of his um asshole tactics and so i kind of have enjoyed this back and forth with with with, with phil and if he's gone i'm going to kind of miss him um in, in that <laughs> fight about you know what i'm saying give me a riled up you know i'm an angry black man in therapy and you know and it's kind of it's kind of different. Like when you sit down and have a drink with your favorite asshole. I've had drinks with my favorite asshole, and we have uh, mutual friends. I'm trying to understand how he thinks, and because he he started out as like like this like this this socialist thinking hippie, um, but he became um, what he is now. You know, uh, you know the the you know the grumpy old man on 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 uh, on the, on the council. But he's not—he's not, he's not um, racist. He's just an equal opportunity asshole. Uh, so, 
uh, so hopefully Aaron Palmer can pull something out. Uh, and and if he's gone, I'm going to miss my equal opportunity asshole. <laughs> well, one thing that really frustrates me about him and Bowser and a lot of other just figures who, and who are like at the executive city level is they kind of play this game of hot potato with uh, they get blamed something. Uh, they get blamed for something. And they'll say, oh, that's actually that's the mayor's fault. I, I'm not in charge of that. That's the mayor's fault. And then she'll try to toss it back to to Phil Mendelson or she'll toss it to to John Falcicchio, who is the uh, deputy mayor. In uh, one of those hot potatoes. I, I got to give a shout out to John uh, Falcicchio, uh, Falcicchio. Excuse me. He's a good guy. Appreciate John. He's very receptive. And I uh, just want to give him a shout out uh, right there in case he's watching this podcast. Please continue. <laughs> yes. And, oh, and one more point is that Aaron Palmer, because uh, um, when we talk about Phil Mendelson, uh, the counselor of the chair, uh, he's the most second most powerful person in the city. Because mm-hmm. in D.C., you got 13 council members and the mayor. And the chairman of the council is in the, is in the number two seat. And Aaron Palmer thinks that um, the council of the chair has too much power as, right. and he's willing to democratize some of that and relegate it um, equally distributed amongst the council members. So I just want to put it out there. So that would really makes her an exciting candidate. I mean, to interrupt you, but these are thoughts that came up while you were speaking. And I apologize. You no, know, that's an important point because uh, I checked yeah. and uh, I checked the Patreon. He does listen to the podcast. <laughs> Shout out one of the deputy damn. mayor, Falcicchio. I don't know. Sorry, I, I'm not going to re- learn how to say your name. I apologize. <laughs> Yeah, me and me and me and John was kicking it at the National Cannabis Festival, so we 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 enjoy some of the same things. Okay, okay. Well, maybe he does listen uh, to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a possibility. Um, but that is a, sort of an oddity of the DC system is the council chair. So basically, uh, like the Speaker of the House is elected directly by the citizens. So this is like we were voting for Nancy Pelosi or the Speaker of House, the House directly. Um, but one thing that the, the kind of hot potato that, uh, has been bugging me is, uh, COVID relief because there was federal aid passed, um, you know, a couple of years ago now, and a lot of it has taken a really long time to get into the hands of renters. And it's just been like this, you know, back and forth thing at the city government. No one can account for where it is in a lot of cases, uh, you have to fill out a gazillion forms to get it. Um, what's going on with that? And, and um, what can people expect in the coming future? Do you think we're going to be able to get that relief to people? Well, again, that's, that's some of the, the, um, um, the crisis creating opportunities. Um, first of all, you have to have that demand um, there. And this election is kind of um a litmus test on you know the last book from martin luther king was uh where do we go from here chaos or community we are at that juncture right now and it's going to be a litmus test on do we take a hard left or hard right and you've had candidates in this race um who would not win (laughs) but it's been candidates in this race talking like barack obama oh we've gone too far left Mm -hmm. too far left (laughs) so uh, the country has clearly gone far right. Trump, Proud Boys, January 6th. So if the car has veered far right, how do you correct it? You're going to have to go a hard left. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And what is too left? What is too left? What? Healthcare for everybody? That's too left after a pandemic even. Uh, 
uh, guaranteed income for everybody, that's two left. Or even because um, billionaires have doubled their income during the pan- pandemic, you know, uh, what's two left? Ha- having uh, equitable um, education opportunities for every child. Because Ma- Ma- Malcolm X said that, you know, when you live in a poor community, you get a poor education. Uh, you get a poor education, you get a poor paying job. And that poor paying job enables you to live in a poor community. It's a very vicious cycle. And it's still been enforced in America because, by and large, the schools, the public schools, are funded, and public, uh, charter schools as well, are funded by taxpayer money, property taxes. Mm-hmm. And if you live in a uh, low, uh, 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 a poor area, you're getting low funding for that school. And you're in a high uh, income area, you're getting high funding for that school. And that preserves the status quo. So two left is rocking the boat. And that's what they really are here to say. And the question remains on whether or not people realize that when, um, how do I say this? When it has changed, shit has changed. (laughs) You know, now what has been politically inevitable is politically, uh, I mean, excuse me, what was politically impossible is now politically inevitable. And I just want to know whether or not people have sensed that. It's kind of like um, the, the, the Muhammad Ali and George Foreman fight when he got him to punch himself out. He was the bigger, stronger fighter. Everybody um, expected him to win. But Ali sensed when the time was right, when he was he was winded and the, and the power dynamics had shifted. And then he went on the assertion. I'm going to say to you that we are no longer on the defensive. We are now on the offense. You know, because far too often we are so clear on what we are against that we're not as clear on what we are for. And when we get into position on what we are for, then we need to know exactly what we want. But we first got to know that it's possible. Yeah, those are those are very encouraging words. And I think um, they're, you know, whatever happens in the election, I think the 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 sort of zeitgeist is changing in terms of people waking up, being done with. Um, accepting the status quo, um, interest in a new system other than capitalism and, and whether that happens through elections or, uh, labor or housing organizing, direct action, whatever. I think, um, especially in a place like DC, which is a progressive city, but the, the institutions of the city don't reflect that, um, or they have not, uh, recently. Um, I think they're, yeah, this is some fertile ground. So definitely excited. Um, for the 21st, are there any other races as we're closing out that, that, uh, you're on the lookout for and you think, uh, the, the left could, uh, make some waves? Yeah, I think that, uh, Ward five is an interesting race, um, because you have, um, Zachary Parker, uh, who is, um, definitely going to flip tables like his name was Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> and we, we can see, um, some of his politics been a game changer in this city. Uh, he's talking about um, uh, equitable, uh, equitable distribution of, of, of wealth in the city, uh, which we need to um, definitely get around and support. Because in Washington, D.C., the average white family has 81 times the average wealth um, of the average black family. You know, I, I, did, I did not say 81 percent. I say 81 multiples. OK. And so when you have that type of um, scenario, and you say, well, you know, the it's, it's city's getting more expensive. Well, you, then you are enforcing black people to get moved out and enforcing the city to become wealthy and white, you know, just by doing that. Back in the day, you would have signs that say white only, 
color only. Now it's a price tag, mm. which is um that mm. serves the, as the same thing. But there's but that's not to say that all white people are, are are wealthy. So anyone who is white who thinks they are working class should be joining us and be that much mad about the system because that means that that eighty one multiples is actually higher than that because you are included in it, but you ain't got eighty one times more money than some of us. <laughs> so that means there's there is a huge divide between the haves and the have-nots, and they continuously use race to muddle the waters to get people at each other's throats instead of seeing the commonalities that we all have. So the War Five race is is something to be watching. As I said before, Zachary Parker is, is the favorite is my favorite uh, for that one. Uh, anyone in D.C. who was endorsed by the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, by the way. Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. He owns uh, Whole Foods in addition to his delivery service that you now know as Amazon. Uh, but uh, anyone that's endorsed by the Washington Post be generally frowned upon, and the leading uh, contender in War 5 has been endorsed by uh, the Washington Post, so we don't stamp, uh, rubber stamp any um, um, uh, uh, you know, status quo candidates. The other race I think is important is Attorney General, uh, the, you know, the top cop in the city. Uh, and uh, my favorite for that one is Ryan Jones, but he's the underdog. Uh, uh, he's talking about, again, flipping tables and uh, 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 clearing, clearing out house in the, in the just uh, uh, the judicial system. I do never call it the justice system. There's no justice there, but you know, only justice. Richard Pryor said, "Only when he went to prison, only justice he saw was just us." <laughs> but uh, um, uh, the Attorney General race is interesting because Kenya McDuffie, who was um, the outgoing council member for Ward Five, had announced his candidacy as Attorney General months ago. And was the leading candidate was was um, was the favorite to win. He had introduced. I'm not saying he. Um, uh, I stand behind his entire voter record, but one of the things that I do stand behind is that he introduced um, the concept of racial equity. He felt that racial equity um, should be applied. The lens of racial equity should be applied to every budget item. Uh, and for those who are not unfamiliar with uh, what uh, equity should look like, um, I always like this picture. It's the three kids of the baseball game. So they they don't have money to get in the baseball game. So they all stand on a box trying to look over a fence to watch the baseball game. So equality is giving each one of those three kids a box to stand on, right? Mm. E- equity mm. would be acknowledging that, wait a minute, the tallest kid, he can already can see over the fence. He doesn't need a box. And the shortest kid, he doesn't need one box. He needs two. So why are you giving a box to the tall kid when a short kid needs two, that's equity. Now, you all all three kids can see the game. That's what equity looks like. So we need to uh, provide equity lens to um, to get rid of some of these disparities, these gross disparities that we are dealing with. And until we do that, we are uh, actually preserving the status quo. And I submit that that's part of the reason why they came from him. They investigated um, our challenge, I should say, um, a legality written in the books that said that in order to run for attorney general, you must be a practicing lawyer for uh, for the past five years. Well, he was a council member. So you can't run for attorney general if you're a council member. And, um, you know, the board of election ruled against them. But the council could have added clarification on that with an emergency bill, but no one came to his aid and they left him hanging and twisting in the wind. So now he's out of a job. 
and uh, we don't know what's going to happen uh, uh, with him next, but I wish him well. Uh, Kenya McDuffie and Robert White, I might add, uh, are responsible for um, the District Opportunity Purchase Act um, that one of the few tools in the toolbox the city has at its disposal to um, to negate displacement and of justification. And it was very rarely used in 10 years. And React Radio is one of the few uh, institutions, two businesses along with React Radio and Anacostia uh, was purchased and was able to save us from being displaced. So um, I wish those um, I wish them well uh, going forward. And the attorney general race is going to be um, something to watch as well. So the races I'm looking at is the AG attorney general uh, War five because I live there. Uh, and of course, the mayoral race. And also, um, um, you have, uh, Ward, well, Brianna Nadeau in Ward 1. She's, she's the favorite to win. So I'm, I'm sure that's, 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 I don't think her challenge is going to upset her. She's a progressive as well. But Ward 3 in Washington, D.C. is the wealthiest ward, uh, in the city. And that means if I told you that the average white family has 81 multiples, um, higher income than the, uh, the average black family in Ward 3 is higher than that. Okay. Um, we're talking about disparities. And Mary Che, uh, who I think is a racist, by the way, um, uh, on the, the, uh, um, the, um, com- the council, uh, is outgoing. She's not, uh, coming back after four terms. And so it's interesting to see who's going to take her place. That's not going to change much thing. I'm just glad to see her go. So in the words of my black culture, we'll say bye, Felicia, uh, to Mary <laughs> Che, who thinks is a racist. And, and I'd be remiss to, um, to say in, uh, in closing that the at large race, again, we have 13 council members. It's eight mm-hmm. wards. We have eight mm-hmm. people representing each one of those wards. Then we have, um, um, four at large council members that represent the entire city. And then the number two spot, um, making 13 would be the uh, council chair. Well, uh, we have a, uh, one of those at large races involved here. And Anita Bonds is the incumbent. Uh, I think, um, she's a n- nice old lady. Um, but just like capitalism, I think she's uh, outlived her usefulness and uh, she's a rubber stamp for um, the mayor's office and the federal city commission ran by um, uh, uh, Anthony Williams. Um, so I'm hoping that um, uh, my good friend Nate Fleming um, uh, pulls out um, uh, a win uh, for that one. Uh, because this is go- if, if Nate Fleming wins, if um, uh, at large. If uh, Robert White wins for mayor, if um, Zachary Parker wins for Ward 5, uh, and if, um, uh, I'm trying to think about Ryan Jones wins for attorney general, there would be a landslide victory for progressive politics in the nation's capital. That's two, one or two other variables in that, uh, in terms um, of other candidates who are progressive as well. But these are the ones that I think um, I was going to make it. That going to take us too far left, as you as yeah as we, yeah. yeah. Let's let's manifest yeah, it. Let's let's manifest it. Uh, one thing uh, too to this point about Ward Three, there's a guy, and yeah, like we were saying about the Washington Post. I feel like if voters need to decide who to vote for, just do just open up your Washington Post and do the opposite of whatever they say. It's a good good handy guy. That's, but, that's a good uh, rubber stamp. Guy, but, uh, that's yeah. a good rubber stamp. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But Ben Bergman is running in Ward 3, and he is literally an acolyte of Matt Iglesias. So I don't know that there is a, a good candidate necessarily in Ward 3, but just uh, vote against him. He is like, anytime, him. He is anytime, like, anytime somebody wants more police, you, you, you should disregard them as well. 
um, because that means they are tone deaf. Um, more police, uh, I, I love this analogy. Um, it's like having a grease fire. When you know, when you have a grease fire, um, you can't throw water on a grease fire. It makes it worse, right? So you need to acknowledge it's a different kind of fire. So yes, if you got, um, um, you know, uh, a lot of violence and crime, it's natural to want to call the police. We understand that. That's a fire you put water on. But now we have a grease fire as, and it's, it's created by, um, a sense of hopelessness, um, joblessness, uh, homelessness, <laughs> poverty, desperation. And if you just, um, decrease poverty, you would decrease the violence. We have a higher literacy rate, which is a direct, um, there's been empirical data confirming the connection between violence, crime, and illiteracy. Um, so we have a different kind of fire. And so we need to fight it differently. And so anyone who's saying more police, uh, bluntly, uh, is throwing water on a grease fire. And then let me throw this out there. Um, uh, I love this for anyone who's doubting what we're saying, like, oh, this sounds all great, but you're not, you can't fight City Hall. This stuff, you're not going to win. You're not going to da 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 da. Look, this is Washington D.C., y'all. Okay, we, the, our mayor got arrested and then um, was voted back in office. Okay, <laughs> we have, um, uh, we we had a, a football team that had a racist name, and the owner of the of team with a racist name said they would never ever change the name. You could put it in all caps. And of course, it was printed in the Washington Post. And what happened? They changed it. And guess what? The current coach stuck his foot in the mouth and called uh, January 6th a dust up, right? Called Whoa. January 6th a dust up. And now the new stadium that they was about to get in Washington, D.C., the deal has been rescinded. And Maryland doesn't want, uh, want them. And Virginia doesn't want them. So now they're a homeless football team. So, you know, <laughs> things can change, man. Things can change. I mean, maybe the Metropolitan Police Department will, you know, destroy their encampment too. the Washington football team. Uh, it's, yeah, it's funny that Del Rio, the coach who said that his his point was like, oh, why are we talking about January 6th? Dust up. What about, uh, you know, 2020? All the, the burnings. He, he literally said, I don't get why we never talk about that. As if you don't turn on the TV every day and see people, you know, whining about uh, the uprisings of two years ago. It's not like a constant thing. People are always reacting to. Um, but that actually brings me to a good closing question. Uh, the Washington football team, now the commanders, I have to ask, what do you think of that name? And do you agree with me? And maybe this will change too. Maybe we'll be able to change this once again, do the impossible once again. Do you agree with me that the name of the team should be the Washington Hawks? Well, I first got to give a footnote that um, the Washington team was um, the, the the team of the South. And um, the Washington team was the last team in the NFL to get a black player. And it took a federal court order to do so. Um, and it's when they got the RFK Stadium, that's the Robert F. Kennedy Stadium. When they took that stadium, um, then they um, um, were uh, uh, forced by, um, by the federal government to adhere um, to, um, have a, uh, to be, been, you know, um, uh, uh, to end the discrimination because they was taking federal funding, um, and, and moving into that stadium. Uh, I just want to throw that out there. That's the history. Um, uh, when you hear Hail the Redskins, it was actually an old Dixie song. Um, and, uh, that's the history. Um, so, uh, to have the, um, the, the racist moniker change, uh, was finally a good thing, but it wasn't that, 
that they did it on their own. They was forced to do so. Um, and to answer your question, the, com- the current name of commanders is just more allegiance to the military industrial complex. Uh, so yes, I'm not a fan of supporting any of that. And, uh, if I had to choose between the two, of course, I would go, go with the Hawks. Yes. yes. <laughs> he said, if you had to choose between the two, he said, if you had to choose between the two, big qualifier, big qualifier. Yeah. Yeah. I, Cause you know, I think there's the, um, um, the Atlanta uh, Hawks, but it's ba- basketball, I believe, but you know. I don't think it's credible. Credi- oh, uh, no, I mean hogs, H-O-G. I mean hogs, H-O-G. Oh, hogs. <laughs> well, I don't eat pork, and I, <laughs> and I think that um, it would it, be a fitting name for them because that's what their defensive line was called when they was winning Super Bowls. <laughs> oh, yeah. yep. And I'm still mad at them yep. for, um, for, what they, uh, for how they treated um, Doug Williams. So I, yes. I, I, never, I never rooted yes. for them since 1984. Great man, Doug Williams. But yeah, uh, the defensive uh, line was called the Hogs um, uh, when they was winning Super Bowls, though. Right. Yeah, or I think it was offensive, yeah, protecting was uh, offensive, Williams protecting, in, in that uh, Super oh, yeah, Bowl. Excuse me. Yeah, Super they won in, yeah. in tandem. Yeah. They won in, in tandem. Yeah. Uh, but as we're closing out here, where um, can people here, find can people your find work in We Act Radio? Your work in We Act Radio. Uh, Kimon Freeman, Angry Black Man Therapy. Um, it's K-Y-M-O-N-E Freeman on all of your relevant social media. You can find us on IG uh, and uh, Twitter and Facebook. We Act Radio. That's W-E-A-C-T Radio. Um, we are, our brick and mortar studio is in Anacostia. Uh, and we uh, open our doors and our performance venue uh, for anyone that needs it. I'm very proud to say that uh, we just hosted the uh, first uh, welcoming home party uh, for political prisoner, uh, Sunday Alcola. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with Sunday Alcola, uh, you may be familiar with Ashada Shakur. Uh, Sunday Alcola was arrested with Ashada Shakur, who um, was uh, broken out of prison and smuggled uh, to Cuba, where she's in, been enjoying political asylum now. Um, she has the high, highest bounty on her head of any black woman in the world. <laughs> and she's been chilling in Cuba since, um, um, the, uh, since the eighties. And, um, uh, and she's probably safer than, um, um, the, um, uh, Jeff Bezos. But, um, he, um, because he, um, uh, was arrested with her, uh, I think they basically exerted their will on him. And held him um, to 49 years in prison, even though he was uh, eligible for parole over 20 years ago. Um, so we had he was re- released uh, from prison last um, last month, and two weeks ago we had a welcoming home party for him at We Act Radio, and it was a big honor uh, for us to do so. Um, this, and I say that to say this is that uh, in the nation's capital we are uh, independent space, we are revolutionary space. And we have perfected disruption as a business model. And everyone that comes to D.C. to march, protest, and, and be heard, unless they are a Proud Boys or a right winger, um, they welcome at React Radio. And uh, we're here to support uh, anyone's endeavors to change the status quo uh, in this country. Uh, progressive media is most uh, is much needed. And the work you guys are doing is a, a great contribution to that. Uh, as I said before, there's uh, one hour of progressive talk in this country. Uh, for every 10 hours of right wing. And so we need to go about the business of educating people and also um, um, battling the apathetic uh, folks who are knee deep in entertainment. And so uh, we just need to make the revolution sexy. And uh, I look forward to engaging with you guys in the future. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming thank you on. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on.
Um, for our listeners, yeah, check out we got we act radio. If you are in, if you are in, you mind just muting real quick because I'm hearing the echo. Let me say one more thing. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> one last quote. Um, we, we're all familiar with Martin Luther King's last speech, or at least we should be. Um, but um, most people are not as familiar with Martin Luther King's next to his last speech. Uh, I say that because we act radio is broadcasting live on the radical side of Martin Luther King Avenue. Uh, uh, his next to his last speech was called Remaining Awake During a Great Revolution. He goes on to say in that speech that far too often people find themselves living in periods of great social change, yet they fail to develop the new ideas and new mental responses that the new situation demands. They end up sleeping through a revolution. And I submit to you that that is the quintessential definition of stay woke. So stay safe, stay strong, stay woke. That's right. Sip that coffee. Well, come on. Thank you so much for joining us. Love it. Yeah, thank you so much, man. That was excellent. I'm oh. sorry to keep you guys waiting, and I'm and uh, feel free to edit X. I know I'm a little long winded. I, I haven't had. Oh no, yet. that's better than no. that's better that's than the better other than, way around. Better. Yeah, no, I mean you're that's great for us for content, and also, uh, yeah, I didn't talk much because I was like, holy shit, this guy's spitting some fucking knowledge, man. I sat my ass down and listened to this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That was excellent. I can tell you're a broadcaster. That makes sense. You're a broadcaster. That makes sense. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you guys in the future, man. Stay safe. Stay strong. Yeah. You too. Yeah. You too. Peace. And oh, yeah, uh, hold on. Hold on. You... Uh, sorry. I paused for a second. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Is this, is this still recording? Okay. Now I'm recording. Fuck. <laughs> well, let's come on. And uh, if you are in New York City, you can come out to paid protest. We are doing a, another fundraiser comedy show June 17th for the NYC DSA electoral slate. And we a ton of funny comics on that. And then, yes, if you are in Washington, D.C., we've just been talking about the stakes of this race and uh, we really need volunteers. Um, I keep saying we and I it's it's uh, tugging at my heartstrings that I, I had to move before this this. Uh, most important election of, of our lifetimes yet again. But Zachary Parker, as we've been talking about, Ward 5, uh, it's going to be a tight race. He has a shot, so please come out to volunteer. We'll put a link in the description for that, and uh, you can donate to him as well. Um, Yeah, don't worry. You can just wait until the next most important election of our lifetimes, which will be the next <laughs> one. But uh, I do feel your pain, man. Um, I'm going to be on that fundraiser show. Uh, yes. paid protest so if you want to see me do stand up come see that listen to my other show while you're mad and uh, that's it that's all I got to plug and Alex is all, also follow Alex at Patek Jones <laughs> that's right um, cool alright I think we're good uh, sorry that the audio was insane my cat started purring into the microphone at one point jumped up on my lap and I had to cut the fucking mic off because it was just like <laughs> because he wanted a podcast so we listen we right. we needed a, we've been looking for another fourth mic for a while so yeah it's murray um all right thank you it's finished and uh have a great weekend y'all it's finished <laughs>